uh, when he said that uh, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Uh, obviously, he didn't have uh, gold or the monetary world or financial problems in mind, having just created the nuclear bomb. Uh, but uh, I think, to my mind, this is entirely appropriate with what we're going through. Uh, the problem today is too much debt, and then we're trying to solve it with more debt. So it seems to me that uh, Einstein's um, uh, wisdom uh, should be uh, should be considered a little bit more uh, in getting us out of this this uh, difficult period. I've been arguing now for five years that, um, uh, and even more so since 2008, um, when um, we had the global <coughs> crisis. I, I hate saying had, because I never thought it ended. Uh, we were just going through a period of, uh, if you like, calm as in the eye of a storm. Uh, I think we are still in a, in a global financial crisis, which is re-emerging and, and, and stronger. Uh, but uh, all these uh, uh, crises that uh, are the focus of uh, the media, um, credit crisis, banking crisis, financial crisis, and now, of course, sovereign debt crisis are very real indeed, but to my mind, they're simply manifestation of what is the underlying cause of all of them, is that uh, money is dying. Our monetary system has been an experiment uh, that has failed in human history every time before, uh, and we, this is the first time it's been um, attempted on a global basis, so it's uh, bound to fail again, I would argue, and so it's time for some important reform. Our dear friend uh, Alan Greenspan again, uh, but more recently, in September 2010, said uh, something quite, um, quite interesting in a Q&A session at a speech he gave to the Council on Foreign Relations in Washington. He said, fiat money has no place to go but gold. If all, fiat, if all currencies are moving up or down together, the question is, relative to what? Gold is the canary in the coal mine. It signals problems with respect to currency markets. Central banks should pay attention to it. So, there you have it from the man who was in charge of the Fed for many, many years. Fiat money has no place to go but gold. And it seems to be um, uh, a growing uh, belief uh, uh, out there that we need to either go back to a gold standard or somehow uh, bring back gold in the equation maybe as a uh, part of the basket that defines the special drawing rights of the IMF, whatever. We'll, uh, we'll see where, where that goes, but what we will see gold coming back into the system. So what we have had now for 40 years is effectively an irredeemable currencies uh, monetary regime. And if you think about it, if you don't have the ability to redeem your, your money on demand for uh, what a, a gold standard would uh, determine to be the fixed weight of that, uh, that metal, then as a result, that, that money, that paper money, uh, is only as good as the ability of the issuing state to pay its debts. That brings a number of corollary questions given the sovereign debt crisis these days and the fast rising 
uh, official uh, or funded uh, national debt of the U.S. But not only that, uh, the, you, uh, the underlying currencies of all financial uh, assets um, are only as good as the belief you have as an investor or the holder of those assets uh, <coughs> that the issuing central bank will preserve the value of that currency. And uh, with uh, the vast amount of uh, money printing or uh, increased money supply or the monetary base, uh, QE1, QE2, will we have QE3? Uh, we certainly uh, don't at the moment, but it seems uh, very likely that we will have to go to some form of additional uh, creation of, uh, of uh, money. So at the end of the day, when you think about it, Money is now really entirely dependent on uh, confidence uh, that, um, that the central bankers have all this under control. I have a, a slide here on the U.S. debt, not to, uh, to be tough on the U.S. more than other countries, but since the U.S. continues to have um, the privilege of having the uh, global reserve currency, uh, it, uh, which is a legacy of the Bretton Woods, which perhaps uh, should no longer be the case, you could argue, given that the U.S. dollar is no longer redeemable for gold. Uh, maybe it should be something else as a global reserve currency or maybe the U.S. dollar as well as other currencies. These are very important questions. I don't have an answer here, but uh, given that the U.S. has that privilege still, it's very important to look at the situation of the U.S. debt much of the uh, attention is placed on the uh, Euro nations, uh, in particular Greece these days, but uh, the, I would argue that uh, the situation with the U.S. debt is far, far more important uh, than, than that. And, and I've got a series of bullet points here on the U.S. debt that are all facts. And uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how uh, even the point was just made that this is already obsolete. True, this was late September. The debt is over 15 trillion The first uh, bullet point uh, on this particular slide seems to be unknown uh, by, uh, by uh, investment professionals as well as uh, people from the investing public. Um, the net Yes. I think the important thing to understand though with the US is they do actually have the ability to repay. They can actually earn their way out of it with the size of their economy. I would beg to differ with that. You don't think they can earn their way out of it? No. Not at the size of the debt that they've now accumulated. Um, they, um, well, first of all, they haven't paid a single dollar no, I understand for the 50 years. So, and the servicing of the debt is getting becoming more and more of a burden, especially when you add to the debt. You know, the, the super committee did, couldn't even come yeah. to cutting the future deficits uh, by a hundred billion a year. Um, and, and as we speak, the debt increases by over 200 billion a month in the U.S. So, no, I, I, I just don't think that they have that ability at all, and they don't intend to pay it back. Yeah, one thing I can add to that, that 15 trillion is not the full reckoning. No. Any, any private business that kept the books that way, their financial officers would be in prison for fraud. 
So first of all, Congress granted unlimited backstops to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac with the housing bubble thing. Uh, and so you have to put that debt on the U.S. government books for sure. That's another six trillion, I think. No, absolutely. This is just the federal government funded debt, public funded debt. That's all it is. So there's a lot more debt. I'm saying, I'm saying, than liabilities. I'm saying Fannie and Freddie is actually part of that, I think. No. It's not no, I said, no, it's not included in that, but I think it ought to be included in that. Well, it ought to. <laughs> now, Social Security and Medicare is another 80 or 90 or 100 trillion. Sure. Arguably, that's not a liability because Congress could change how much they're going to pay on those programs. But my, my point is, I think it's actually about 25 trillion is the actual debt that the government at present owes. And that's just the federal. And that's just the federal, not including the states and the cities and everybody else. But don't we have to, to also say that if they started to repay the debt, somebody else had to start being the new debtor of the world because otherwise the system would get unstable. Because if America starts repaying debt, then... They have absolutely no interest. I don't, wouldn't worry about it. They have no interest in paying the debt because the monetary system thrives on debt. And the debt needs to increase for the system yeah, to work. So it's, there's no, it's not going to happen. Now, Louis, it's not possible to pay the debt because debt is money. And if debt is retired, the money retires with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. it's called debt. The mind boggles, doesn't it? National debt of the U.S. has been increasing ever since 1961. Or, in other words, uh, none of the principal of the debt has been repaid since then. So that's 50 years of increasing debt. Uh, it took just under 200 years for the U.S. to accumulate the first trillion in debt. Seems like an awful long time uh, to accumulate one trillion, uh, a number that um, is incomprehensible for most. Uh, one nice image for me of trying to capture what the trillion is, is if you been born the day Jesus Christ was born, um, and you had spent one million dollar a day, and we're still alive today, you would have still not spent one trillion dollars. Um, that's how big that number is. The uh, U.S. national debt stood at 10.6 trillion the day uh, current president of the United States, Barack Obama, took office, and since uh, he took office which is less than four years ago, uh, already he has added, or his administration, under his administration, there has been an extra 4.2 trillion added in debt. And so the debt now stands in the U.S. at 14.8 trillion. And the ceiling, um, the ceiling is 15.2 uh, trillion. 15.2 um, trillion. So we're not far already uh, from, from that ceiling. Um, how, does, uh, how, how did that 15.2 trillion uh, amount got calculated? Uh, everybody was very aware that there was a 14.3 trillion debt ceiling before August the 2nd. But what happened on August the 2nd was effectively the 93rd increase. It's uh, happened many, many times, making more or less this concept of having a debt ceiling, a bit of a joke, really, to be quite honest, uh, since um, it, 
gets raised every time the ceiling, uh, the debt approaches the ceiling. But on the 2nd of August, we had a, a, an innovative, however, on the 2nd of August, what happened is that Congress approved 400 billion increase immediately with an extra um, layer of uh, 500 billion um, if certain conditions were met. And then third layer of 1.5 trillion if again further conditions are met. So really the ceiling was increased potentially by as much as 2.4 trillion, the highest increase ever. Although the, the previous increase in uh, early 2010 was almost as high, two trillion. So the 400 billion was spent in August, and the second tranche of 500 billion is already in place. Although there has been very little uh, media attention given to that, uh, certainly not as much as the uh, uh, the um, circus that went on in uh, July or. or uh, heading towards the 2nd of August. These are huge amounts. And uh, if you look at uh, those numbers, you can uh, really see that <clears throat> since the beginning of the global financial crisis in 2008, it's been more than $5 trillion that has been added uh, <clears throat> to the U.S. debt ceiling. Uh, that is an enormous amount. Uh, the, uh, it becomes clearer and clearer by the day that uh, the U.S. will be unable to pay that debt um, uh, unless the, uh, uh, the uh, currency in which the debt is denominated is, is debased uh, very, very uh, significantly. So I believe we, um, we must challenge uh, the beliefs we operate under. Um, we, uh, we are held to believe that central bankers uh, can and, and will do miracles. Um, I would argue that they certainly appear to do miracles, but what they are more, uh, what they are doing, in fact, is, is buying time um, and, and not solving ultimately the uh, the root of the problem. Uh, governments can default on their debt has been a widely held assumption uh, in the investment world, certainly as for for the uh, uh, the major uh, sovereign governments. Uh, we are. Uh, certainly seeing the possibility of that uh, uh, no longer being the case very soon. Uh, big debate as to whether we have inflation or deflation. Um, it's, it's, we have both uh, that are manifesting in different sectors of the, uh, of the markets and of the economy. Um, one thing I always observe when I, when I travel and, and give this presentation in different countries is that Inevitably, the country I'm speaking in thinks that they're in a better situation than others, money-wise, in terms of the central banks or the inflation. Uh, uh, there, well, we're, we're all in the same boat because all currencies are uh, fiat-only money and are measured only in relative terms. But, uh, there is no absolute value for, for money today. So one thing I try to encourage all my clients to do, that certainly I do, is to try to account for values, uh, whether that's assets or liabilities, uh, in another uh, uh, form of money uh, than, than the currencies you're um, uh, investing in or investing from, and, and therefore 
measure the, the, the value or the price of your, your assets and gold ounces. And, and here's a chart that's probably one of the most quoted chart when it comes to using gold as a uh, unit of account or a value measure. Uh, it's the Dow Gold Ratio, which shows how many ounces of gold you would have needed over time to buy the Dow. Um, and it goes to, uh, this chart covers over 200 years from 1800 to today, and it kind of divides it into two, two eras, the pre-Federal uh, Reserve, uh, so pre-1913, and post-1913, or what you could argue pre- and post-change um, uh, of uh, uh, having gold in the center of the monetary system to uh, not having gold uh, in the, uh, at the center of the system. The two things you can observe very quickly on this chart is that, of course, it takes more and more gold to buy uh, the uh, equity market, which makes sense, of course, because the equity market is a representation of production and, and, and growth uh, in, in the economy, and so that should be the case. But there has been much more uh, volatile uh, uh, outcomes since the introduction of um, the Fed, and, um, and we have seen some uh, peaks um, and throws that seem to indicate that we're going back to a situation where we'll, where we'll have a Dow Gold Ratio of 1 again, which has always been um, uh, the bottom of this cycle. And this chart also shows that although the Dow is in dollar terms not far below its peak in 2000, uh, it is significantly lower than that peak when measured in gold ounces in 19, in, in 2000, it took 44 ounces of gold by the Dow. Now it takes uh, six and a half ounces. So it's an interesting chart, and the same thing can be done with any other share market or uh, market, capital market or other asset. Uh, another chart that is widely used, uh, another um, um, uh, asset that Gold is often used as uh, uh, yes. is, is that not just entirely the currency effect, though? I mean, because corporate America has still added value. I mean, you're essentially well, what that implies to me is you're saying corporate America hasn't hasn't added value, whereas I just disagree with that. I, isn't that just all currency effect? The debasement of the US dollar and what you're measuring corporate America has a has occurred at a faster rate than, 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 than growth in corporate profits over time. What you call corporate America uh, in relation to that chart is an index of stocks traded on the marketplace, that index being measured in dollars. Yeah. So, so All this does is it changes the measure yeah, so from what, dollars to gold ounces as, as, a, as a, a means of purchasing the index or not. It simply demonstrates that if you were to uh, discipline yourself to consider how well you're doing by investing in corporate America in a different currency, you would probably get a different picture.
And it's not if you put that in Swiss francs, it'd be a different story, right? And you put it down in Swiss francs, it's a very different picture. Well, I don't know that it would be very different at all. Uh, but I would I wouldn't do that. I would use the Swiss index, which is measured in Swiss francs, and convert that in Swiss indexed gold ratio. Because that's the point of that chart, is to take any index, this this being the Dow index. So U.S. equity market index measured in U.S. dollars. So you can do it to the New Zealand index, New Zealand stock exchange index, or, or you know, uh, the Swiss um, index. But then you need to convert that in the price of gold in that currency, and then you see what you get. You'll get a similar picture uh, to measure the price is housing and um, house. How the average house price in the U.S. has dropped from 600 ounces of gold to less than 100 ounces of gold as we speak. And that should be the bottom uh, as uh, most historically um, that has been about uh, where it's uh, <coughs> come back up. But speaking of money and measures, what strikes me as really um, interesting, probably more initially from a philosophical point of view, but really a fundamental point of view, is that we have um, uh, many, many measures of the uh, uh, aggregate supply of money uh, to choose from and uh, that we can track and, and use in our analysis. But uh, there is absolutely nothing to be found anywhere uh, in terms of the absolute uh, measure of money and this is what's lacking. Uh, we do not have um, any um, known uh, absolute value of money as we speak. Everything is measured relative to everything else. So we have the currency exchange rates, and, um, and therefore we have a lot of uh, uncertainty. And, and when you think about it, when it, when it comes to measurement um, in any scientific endeavor, um, measurement is, is very precise and is um, and there will be a convention as to what a second is or a meter or a degree Celsius or whatever and therefore the measurement is um, is fixed and the tendency in, in any area of endeavor uh, scientific endeavor is to uh, uh, aim to uh, improve the, uh, the precision of that uh, uh, unit of measure uh, the only exception in science, uh, assuming economics is a science, is, is uh, monetary economics. Uh, fiat money flows. Um, it's an elastic measure. Um, so uh, I, I would argue that that is part of the reason, if not the core reason, of why we have such difficulty uh, these days and, and uncertainty. If it was uh, a problem, an isolated problem, it wouldn't be so serious, but we're talking here about currencies that all financial assets are denominated in. So um, it's, it's a real concern. And, and uh, when you, when you, when, uh, when you're, you're, you invest uh, for yourself or for your clients, uh, you need to be conscious of that. You need to protect yourself from from this uh, great uncertainty and debasement of uh, ongoing debasement of currencies. So how do you do that? You have to diversify uh, away from fiat currencies. 
And before I get into um, the uh, uh, bullion market or means of investing in gold, uh, I, I want to uh, demonstrate that this has always, this, is, this has happened in the past. And one of the uh, um, driving, it would appear, uh, reasons for people to prefer gold over um, other assets or if you if you uh, if you look at the price of gold as a manifestation of the increasing demand for it um, is when interest rates uh, are uh, in the uh, negative real um, area um, so that's what happened in the 70s I think that was the main driver for the demand of uh, demand in gold and that is what has been happening over the last 10 years and every indication that this is likely to continue with uh, statements from central banks that interest rates will remain low until 2013 and therefore negative in real terms relative to inflation so <clears throat> something to watch very carefully is real interest rates and if they remain negative um, well likelihood that the gold price will continue to go grow up the interesting historical uh, uh, point here is that Isaac Newton was the first master of the mint uh, the royal mint uh, in London and, um, and he uh, was obviously a, a scientist and uh, um, was the first to make it very clear that um, if, if we're going to measure uh, money uh, using gold as a standard, we need to define the unit. Uh, and this is what we don't have anymore. We do not have a unit of measure for our global monetary system. It used to be one thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold for a dollar. In fact, that was the definition of the U.S. dollar in the Bretton Woods. It wasn't that gold was worth $35 an ounce. That's a misinterpretation of it. It was a the dollar was defined as 135th of an ounce. That was the measure of the unit. So I would argue that it's important to own some bullion. And, and by that, uh, I mean uh, the physical metal. More on that in a minute. As opposed to investing in exchange-traded funds, uh, or suppose I realize it's 4.30 so we can stop it there because on Friday I will be talking about uh, bullion and the various alternative ways of uh, investing or accessing uh, ownership of gold so uh, so let's let's stop it there and um, happy to take any questions if you have any or if you, if you haven't fallen completely asleep but this is this is what I say to investment professionals um, in order to capture their attention to the importance of what's going on and maybe that you know they should consider uh, bullion ownership as a means of protection or at least at the very least consider that they are fully exposed to uh, fiat currency debasement because all, all the financial assets that our investment portfolios are denominated in one or another currency, and that's the main gist of it. So, yeah, yeah just a uh, one of the slide that you put up, uh, KC Research, I think. Yeah, by Conrad KC. Just uh, estimate how much uh, gold should be value at. It was ten thousand, I think you put up. I didn't read the detail of that research, but uh, just for your comment, I read uh, Mike Meloni, I think. 
he in two, 2006, 2006, he did research on uh, a static way of value the gold. Mm. He looked at the, before 1971, all central banks in the world were allowed to use, convert the paper money, the debt of US dollar, go back to US and convert to gold. Yep. Gold would have to be uh, 20,000 US dollar per ounce if using a static way. $20,000, 19000 something, we call it 20000 And he said, that is based on Brandon Wood before 1971. All the only central bank allowed to go back to the U.S. and take the U.S. gold in a, if they had the 8,000 tons. The other way that he come up with, all fiat money in the world, he were to convert to gold based on the central bank of the world having the gold deposit in your world. That would be $100,000 per ounce. Of course, this is static because when gold price go up, the 160,000 tons might come up from hoarding mm. or hiding. Mm. So this is a static way that he mm. he come up with that figure. Quite interesting, is a different figure. Yes, well, of course, there are many ways in um, to to proceed in, in valuing mm-hmm. uh, or coming up with a price for gold um, <clears throat> and. Those are some of them, um, and, how, and you end up with a whole range. Yeah. But um, I thought Bud's approach was quite interesting, and uh, also because there recently has been two or three other um, researchers on on this matter that have come to a similar sort of price for the existing amount of uh, paper reserves around ten thousand. So that's before there is even more. Um, or a creation of credit, um, but you know, the the point of that was just to demonstrate that um, it is possible that the price is undervalued. <laughs> Sandy, right. um, I have a slightly different calculation um, in that uh, you can't look at aggregate paper assets and then look at some kind of ratio because gold is strictly base money. So you have to look at demand deposits across the entire global system and analyze that only against gold. But obviously the amount of demand deposits depends on how much bond monetization you're doing. You know. so, but I come to a figure of around $5,000. Changing data. <laughs> well, well, but the point, Sandeep, I think, isn't it, that whether you take your approach, yeah, that approach, that approach, <laughs> that's based on the situation today, mm. which is a higher price than it currently is. And all likelihood is that it's going to keep going in that direction because of what authorities are doing. Well, this is another case of positive feedback. Uh, when gold became money, there was feedback over centuries that as soon as gold became monetized, became more and more accepted as money became better and better. Here it's a debt runaway positive feedback. The more debt you have, the tougher it is to pay back. And at some point, you either revalue your dollar, you do something, or you just pretend it isn't there. And obviously people are pretending it isn't there, the problem. So it's, it's a runaway feedback, positive feedback. So you got to stop it somewhere else to explode. Runaway machine. Well, I think that we're pretty much all in agreement with that here, but 
this presentation doesn't generate much action in the industry, I can tell you. But it, is, it has been listened to and, and you know, um, watched by many. We're waiting for the next guy, for somebody to start. Yeah, we're waiting for the snap, for the snap. <laughs> the elasticity, you know, <laughs> we're waiting for the snap. <laughs> well, thank you very much for today, and tomorrow we, uh, we kick off at 10, 10, 10 a.m. sharp. Thank you. Thank you.